You are listening to Your Family Matters, all things marriage, divorce, and co-parenting with your host, Naomi Douglas, marriage coach and divorce coach. This episode is about what to do when your ex speaks badly about you with special guest, Stan Carosi. Okay, great. So we could just get started. Um, I want to ask you, just before we plunge into the topic, to just mm-hmm. introduce a general picture of the kind of work you do and the, the people that you work with. Sure. Okay. So I'll, I'll start out, I guess, for my profile that uh, I, I'm a specialist counsellor and psychotherapist. I work mainly with parents who are either at risk of losing their relationship with their children or, you know, where that relationship is under some kind of threat or have already had a rupture between themselves and their children. In the context in which I work, usually that rupture has been caused by the other parent in some kind of way. Uh, we call that alienation or parental alienation, and there may be varying degrees of that present in those ruptures. So I work closely with those parents who have been rejected to see how we can recover that relationship, remediate that relationship, and help them through the process. Right. Okay. And the reason I wanted to have a conversation with you today is because I've been receiving a lot of um, feedback or requests from people saying that the big issue that they're having is that their ex-spouse is speaking badly about them to the children. And so I thought we could have a conversation about that and about what parents who are experiencing that could possibly do in those circumstances? Yes, that's a, that's a very, very common presentation and an, ex, an extremely harmful one for the children. The onus does fall upon one of the parents, the one who's not making those comments, to work with the children to try and level that, that one out. But when children rely on their parents as their fundamental relational security, so to hear a parent denigrate another parent, that that really harms the children in terms of that security they feel in relationships. It, it, it lends them to repeat that later in their lives. So we need to deal with this one. Right. Yes. So I realise how hurtful it is for children to... Um, have a disruption in their, you know, their capacity to innocently and unconditionally love both of their parents. That's right. And uh, usually these, the worst cases of this denigration and derogatory commenting often occurs in separations and divorces, particularly where there's high conflict. Naomi, it might be useful to go back to some basics Mm -hmm. and to say that, um, you know, parents often say things about the other parent to their children. 
You know, the classic might be, oh, well, your mother's always fussing over the state of your clothes, you know, or, well, your dad never takes care of, you know, you falling over and hurting yourself. And these are often said, I know they're very gendered ways of commenting, but they're kind of um, said in a sort of a half-joking manner. It's a kind of what we call a, a, a loving insult, if you like. Right. And the children sort of take that on in a harmless kind of way. But the moment we introduce conflict between the parents, mm-hmm. it takes on a big sting. Okay. okay, yeah. Because there's anger behind it? There's anger. There's hurt. And... It also says to the children that there's something insecure about the other parent, okay? Mm-hmm. And it carries with it the sense that the parent making the comment no longer has a loving consideration of the other parent, okay? Right, so okay. It's said with a sting, in other words. Yes. So, you know, a typically naive comment, and I say naive in a, in a positive way, it might be, you know, like I said, oh, well, you know, your mother's always fussing over your clothes. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, you know, she can buy you new clothes, you know. So that's, that's a bit naive. The last bit of that has the sting in it, okay? Right. So when a child's in a conflictual environment between the parents, you know, there's blame attached to that. There's criticism attached to that. There's this sense there's something wrong with the other parent, okay? Yes. But it's it's relatively mild, okay? It's not particularly bad. But then you can, you know, step that up. Mm-hmm. You can step that up to another level, Okay where a parent may say something like, you know, well, you know, I'm sick and tired of having to deal with your clothes after you come back from dad. You know, he can replace them. He's got the money. I don't. So now that sort of critical comment introduces a whole range of concepts that are almost beyond the children's understanding. Right. So there's criticism involved. There is almost a sense of responsibility placed upon the children that, you know, if they get their clothes dirty or damaged, somehow one parent is responsible, the other one has to pay. They can't resolve that type of issue. They're more likely to go back to Dad and say, say, well, you've got the money, Dad. Mum says you should replace my clothes. And next thing you know, the children are now involved in the parental conflict. Exactly. They're directly involved. And they're forced to take sides. Yes. And this is loyalty conflict that comes in. Right. Okay? All right? Mm-hmm. And then it steps up even further into action. I won't let you wear your good clothes to go and see your dad or go and see your mum. He or she will have to supply them. Okay? Yes. And then we enter in a whole different territory, and this is an awful situation for the children. They can't resolve that. Next thing you know, they're undertaking transfers between mum and dad, 
wearing what we call transfer clothes. Right. You know, and this is this is a horrible situation because they're now fully enmeshed in the conflict. Okay? Yes. I don't want to see you, Dad. I don't want to see you, Mum, because these issues of clothing. You know? Because who's going to buy my clothes? Who's going to clean them? Okay? You've got the money. You're always spending money somewhere else. Why don't you buy me new clothes? Next thing, this is how the dispute and conflict becomes enveloping for the children. Okay? Right. And what I'm hearing you describe at this point is what we could call parroting, where a child is repeating concepts that they've heard their parents say. It's not their own words. It's not their own thoughts. That's right. And uh, you've reminded me of a of a case I worked on where an eight-year-old boy came home, I think, to his father and and accused him of not paying child support. Well, as I said to the father, well, that's a very adult concept. Where did he get that one from? You know, what level of understanding would an eight-year-old have about how child support works, how that's negotiated, and, and how the CSA sets a rate that's outside of either parent's control to a large degree? You know, this was a discussion that that child had, was forced to have, with one of the parents. And they, they've simply become the messenger, but they've, you're quite right, Naomi, they are both parroting the message and also adopting it as their own message. Right. As they thought of it entirely themselves. Right. Okay. And this is a dramatic es- escalation mm-hmm. of started out as a criticism between parents right okay so let's go back to the most basic idea which is that the other parents saying negative things about you to the children now what obviously one of the easiest traps to fall into is to start saying negative things as well in sort of like, well, if they're going to say something bad about me, I have to defend myself and say something bad about them. So what, that's obviously a trap that you don't want to fall into. That's right. That is probably the the biggest trap of all. And it's this trap of what I call defensiveness. You know, right. essentially you are accused by your children of an unspeakable crime of not supporting your children. So the most natural thing to do, particularly in a highly intense environment of a parental conflict, is to defend it and say, well, no, that's not true. Right. Okay? It's your mother or your father who is doing this or has the money or whatever it is. Right. So... What I generally do with parents in these situations is to say to them, you must always claim the moral high ground here. Right. And level the playing field and make sure you deliver a very balanced message about both parents. So for a parent accused of not paying child support, for example, or, you know, not dealing with clothes properly and, you know, you've got the money, you should replace them. One of the things that you can say is, wow, you know, that's a really big concept. Where did you get that from? Okay? So you try and get the child to name the source of their information. Where, where, did, you, where did you get the idea from 
that somehow I'm not paying child support. How did, what do you understand about child support? Okay. Usually what I say, and, and there are different opinions on this one, is to say, well, this matter is actually outside of either mummy and daddy's control, which is usually, which is actually true. <laughs> okay. Right. So we try and take, you know, create a good guy, bad guy situation where, you know, the bad guys are the authorities who decide what child support is. So the other thing I say to parents about this is to say, well, you know, mummy or daddy must be really proud of you that you're taking such a stand for them. Okay? Uh-huh. And representing this issue to me. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's sit down and have a talk about it. Okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we, tr- so we try and take the sting out of it. Mm-hmm. And we try and acknowledge the truth of the matter that the child is acting as a proxy for the other parent. Mm-hmm. So they, they don't necessarily understand their motivations for, you know, parroting, as you, you put it, which is quite correct, nor do they understand that they may not have thought of the idea themselves. Okay? Right. So we always have equalising messages. Well, mummy and daddy are both working very hard to ensure that you have two households, two homes to go to, and that you have the clothes and things you need in each place to live your lives as uninterrupted as possible whilst enjoying your relationship with us, okay? So we always start out from that that basis, okay? Um, so that's those are the kinds of <clears throat> things that we, we do. We always make sure we have a balanced message about both parents. We try to get to the source. Where did you get it from? How did you form the idea? And if presented with blatantly incorrect information, that's when we correct it. Okay? How do you correct incorrect information without making the other person or sounding as if you're making the other person wrong? What do you do with that? Well, you basically don't refer to the other person. Mm-hmm. You basically say, well, I wonder if you've got your facts wrong here or mm-hmm. there is some information you need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be a mistaken understanding. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't say, oh, your mummy or daddy are lying mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. We just say, look, there's some other information here um, that would suggest that those facts are wrong. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if we talk about this, then... You know, you have to accept the possibility there might be information that doesn't, you know, meet with your reality. And so, you know, particularly when children, and and we usually get this from adolescents and teenagers, you know, who can be very black and white in their judgments. You know, they'll, I'll make accusations. I'll basically say, well, you know, you're the one who's done it wrong. You haven't paid child support, or you broke this bicycle, or you did this and you did that. Uh huh. And, you know, we start out by engaging them, not in an accusatory way, not in a defensive way. We, we don't want to set up a courtroom where there's prosecution and defence. Right. We want to engage. We want to collaborate and consult. Mm-hmm. So the engagement starts out with your very basic active listening, you know. Right. Okay, so, mm-hmm. I'm getting you loud and clear. You're very angry about this. Okay, mm-hmm. you're really taking a stand about this. Got it? 
let's let's find out where that anger is coming from. What are you angry about? What's hurting you the most here? Mm-hmm. So you try and get to the the emotion that's being expressed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not the content of what's being expressed. We get to the content last. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So it's basic empathy. Yeah, really is what we're talking mm-hmm. about. That's where we always start from. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. Now let's just pull back a little bit in terms of what if some of these things are more emotional, you know, things like oh, all of this all of this is her fault or his fault, all these struggles we're having is their fault, you know, more emotionally driven comments and, and maybe even with younger children as well. Well, usually if children are saying it's all your fault or mm-hmm. all the other parents' fault, mm-hmm. they're entrained in a comment like that and, and a, a common thing that adolescents and teenagers will say in particular it's your fault the family broke up. Right. You broke it up. Yeah. Okay? And that's a judgmental black and white statement. Yes. You know, that if you go with the content of that, you're up for the fight of your life. Right. Okay? Yeah. Because there's no harsher judge than a teenager. Okay? Mm-hmm. So you go look for the emotion that's driving that statement. Yeah. What, what make a child say something like that? It's your fault. You broke the family up. And the best we can go with is incredible emotional pain. Yeah. This terrible loss. Yeah. They're insecure. They're hurt. They're frightened. And they're grieving. Yeah. Grief over a loss they can't express. Okay. Yes. So. They express it with an emotion they can have. And anger is a very safe emotion to have because it's projected outwards. Uh-huh. Okay? It's directed at someone. If they're sad, if they're grieving, if they're hurt, it's an emotion directed to themselves. It's about them. Uh-huh. They're yeah. From their point of view, one parent and probably both parents are no longer safe to be vulnerable with. So the role of the target parent here mm-hmm. is to be that safe, secure person. Right. That's that's the high ground they have to claim and reclaim. And right. so you go, you go with that emotion that's driving that statement. Right. So I'd imagine to become a safe parent... That means that you don't take what your child says personally, that you focus on your children's emotions, you know, more than your own, that, you know, you take your emotions and work with them, you know, with other adults who can support you. But with your children, you really focus on their emotions. You have an environment in which it's comfortable for them to express themselves and where there's a, a kind of a relaxation in the environment where there, you know, there, is, um, there isn't a fear of how a parent will react. Is that, That's right. Is that right? Yes, it's basically a, a case of establishing unconditionality. Right. So the, the mission of the target parent is to be unconditional. Right. So it's, a, it's a, almost like a reverse form of flattery 
if your child is angry with you, is accusing you, because they're doing it because they can. Right. They may not be able to do that with the other parent because the other parent's love is conditional. It's right. conditional on the child yeah. agreeing with their criticisms of the other parent. That's a really important point. So in a way, it's like the child is saying, I trust you to still love me even if I'm angry. That's very well put. Spot on. That's right. That's right. It's almost, yes, that's right. The child feels safe enough to be angry with you, how you then handle it, and how you go for the underlying hurt that drives it, mm -hmm. that's what makes you the safe and secure parent. Right. So what, as a parent, what you, the, the big work that you need to do is you need to be able to work through your own emotions around, you know, maybe your anger at the other parent or your fear that, you know, your child won't love you and, and move past those emotions so that you can actually be present with your child's feelings without taking them personally so that you can actually show up in that way that your child's needing you to where you no, know, even if they are angry at you, even if they blame you or take something out at you, you still love them and you still um, are able to maintain a loving, calm environment for them to have these experiences. Is that right? I think that's, that's very much spot on. That's right. And that's the work that I do with many rejected parents, which is to help them deal with the terrifying experience, actually, the traumatic experience of being rejected, to hold that space and to resolve that space to allow them to be emotionally present for their children, to keep coming back in the face of criticism, in the face of rejection, to show their children, I am here. Right. It's been here and I always will be. So that's, that's an incredible statement for angry, rejecting children to hear and to feel. Right. They yeah. don't get that from the parent who's being critical. Right. They're feeling as if if they're not on their side, then they would be rejected as well. That's right. So children, and, and obviously I'm talking more about alienation when I say this, mm -hmm. you know, the children who are closely aligned or alienated from one parent and in a, in a very extreme alignment or fusion with their favoured parent, they no longer see the world in, a, in a, an objective way. You know, one parent is all good, mm -hmm. the other parent is all bad. And what they have to be sent all the time are subtle emotional messages that that actually isn't the case. Right. That the parent whom they've rejected is simply not behaving in the manner that the child has been set up to believe. Right. And that is requires enormous emotional intelligence on the part of the rejected parent. Right. And this is where it's about getting as much support for that parent so that they can manage the situation well. well that's right. One of the things I sometimes say to the parents I work with when they're confronted with at times downright abusive children is to say to them, well, you know, for you to treat me this way, 
you must be terribly hurt. Because knowing how much you love me, I know you wouldn't ordinarily speak to me that way. Right. Okay? Yeah. Now, in any other parenting context, if a child was disrespectful or abusive towards a parent, there'd be some discipline reaction. Go to your room, you can't watch TV, you know, you're off Facebook for a month, something. There'd be some some kind of sanction. And that sanction works in a context in which both parents, if you like, are operating in what I call the substrate of love. Yeah. It's a stable, secure environment. So children understand that they've pushed the boundaries, they're going to get pushed back. Okay? Yeah. When there's a conflictual relationship, parental conflict, uh, environment of critique, denigration, the children don't have any, they've lost their respect for that those boundaries so if you try and discipline the children and say well you can't talk to me that way that's disrespectful the children will push back they'll say well right well I'm not coming here again right and so if you that's that that's responding to the content and not responding to the process the process is the children are treating you badly because they're badly hurt yes they've lost their respect for you they may have been influenced in doing so, your mission is to activate the part of them that loves you. (laughs) Right, yeah. And to know that that's always there no matter what behaviour is showing up. That's right, because from the children's perspective, actually, no one's listening to them. They actually don't matter anymore. They they become an object. That's what they're reacting to. Mm. Okay. Yes. Well, I think that's given the listeners a lot to think about. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, have information on the page so that if anyone would like to contact you or have a look at your website, that they're easily able to do that. Thank you. That would be great. And I hope that uh, you know parents in these difficult situations can take some sucker from some strategies that may be available to them. Yeah. Help their children help themselves. If any parent is in this sort of situation, it's certainly such an important time to um, do, you know, whatever they can to get things on the right track for their children and for themselves. That's right. That's right. Well, this is, this is the challenge. The, Mm -hmm. The challenge for parents in these situations is to keep their children at the center of their attention yes. and their focus. That's right. Well, that, that is the challenge. It is. Well, thanks so much for sharing all your wisdom with us. Well, thank you for sharing yours, Naomi. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> if you want more information, come and visit me at naomidouglas.com.au or write naomi at naomidouglas.com.au dot com dot au